Welcome to the Forge Leadership Podcast. In this series, Simon Barrington and Johnny Abbott are joined each week by emerging leaders from the millennial generation. Today, our guest is Ruth Yamika Afalabi. Ruth is the founder and CEO of a women's faith and lifestyle platform and community called Magnify, which she started almost 10 years ago at the age of 19. Welcome back to the Forge Leadership Podcast. My name is Johnny. I'm here with Simon Barrington, as always. And uh, we're delighted to welcome Ruth Yamika Afalabi. Uh, Ruth is the founder and CEO of a women's faith and lifestyle platform and a community called Magnify. Welcome, Ruth. Thank you so much. It's a real honor to be with you guys. Yeah. Hi, Ruth. Fantastic. Ruth, um, just looking down at some of the stuff that you're doing looks so exciting and so interesting. So really looking forward to asking a whole bunch of questions about that. But let's start uh, today. Uh, What is Magnify? How did that come about? So it was kind of by mistake after we did the first big conference um, in, I think, 2009 or 2010, a lot of women had questions. Um, So we were trying to put it together in kind of, I guess it was going to be like a a pamphlet maybe of 12 pages and that grew and grew and grew to 80 pages, which was a kind of dummy magazine that we did a few years back. Um, But I think for me, the idea of sharing Christianity with women who maybe felt that Christianity wasn't for them or didn't feel completely comfortable. A magazine was something that people could digest in their own time. Um, And almost the idea of giving people a gift um, and kind of wrapping up the Christian message within that. And so the magazine features interviews from a number of inspiring, sometimes high profile um, people of faith in different industries, showing how their faith has shaped their identity and their work, um, along with different articles. So we cover identity, relationships, faith, social justice, um, purpose, fashion, um, technology. Um, So yeah, just kind of looking at the whole um, package of life through the lens of faith. And how do you find um, women who don't have faith uh, respond to those stories? And what kind of interactions do you have with them? You talk about Magpie being a a community. Uh, How does that kind of work? Um, so I guess for a lot of women, when they read the magazine, particularly those who aren't Christian, um, it's kind of like a, wow, I can relate. Because a lot of the people, I guess growing up, I would often only see people who were vicars or vicars wives. Um, and obviously that's incredible because I didn't necessarily aspire to have that as a life uh, pattern or uh, like a career um, I couldn't completely relate to what faith looked like in their day-to-day lives so I guess for a lot of people seeing people who are in business who are in fashion who are in technology who are um, in the arena of social justice if that's something that they want to do it's kind of easier to see how faith makes sense and could what that could look like for their own personal lives um, and I think with the events that's been the real way that we've been able to build the community um, so women actually think that they can come into a space where particularly maybe if your perceptions of Christians were people who are weird and judgmental and you know you couldn't relate to them you're coming to a community of women who are like you um, but particularly when we have speakers they're always Christian so for instance if we're doing a masterclass on how to start your own business although a woman might have come in just wanting to find out how she can start or grow her business when you're actually hearing about people who run successful businesses and them talking about how Jesus is their foundation and motivation um yeah we found that women respond very well because the kind of entry point is something that they can engage and relate with in a normal way in the first place 
Amazing. So, Ruth, we love stories uh, on this podcast. Can you tell us a little bit uh, of a uh, maybe a story of uh, of a mentor who's inspired you and been part of this journey? I guess one of my mentors in particular, I've known him for around six, seven years, um, and he um, has worked in marketing and communications. And just, I think for me, always understanding that as a Christian, wherever God has placed you, I think often as millennials, we get very fixed on the specific job that we want to do. And I think having mentors, particularly this mentor that has inspired me, that wherever God has placed you is for his glory and to be a light um, in your sphere of influence. And I think having people like that along the journey has always helped to reassure me and give me that sense of peace that it's less important what I'm doing in a specific job sense and more important to understand the nature of being called by God to be a light for him wherever I am has really been instrumental for me on this leadership journey so far. Mm, brilliant. Um, you started Magnify at 19 years old, uh, not many 19 year olds while studying at Durham University or any university in that matter um, have the initiative and, and the, um, the drive to start something as uh, exciting as this. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what it was at 19 specifically that really pushed you to do this. Uh, and maybe since then, maybe some of the stories of some, perhaps some of the opposition that you've got or some of the difficulties that you faced uh, in, uh, in building Magnify. Okay. Um, so I think to go back just to a little bit of my testimony. So raised by incredible Christian parents um, and they never forced faith upon my brother and I, but just by seeing their own lives and being in church, um, I would have said before that I was a Christian. But looking back, I realised I more thought I was a Christian because of my parents' faith. Um, but between 2015 to 2017, I lost three people in my family really suddenly. Um, and in particular, one that stood out was my aunt, who was 33, who just got married the year before um, and that kind of made me lose my faith and I was like you know if God is supposed to be loving and all-powerful clearly he's let all of this horrendous stuff happen but then when I came back to my faith I think I just had that sense of urgency because I'd seen how quickly life could be taken away um, and as a Christian thinking that if this is truly the most important message that people will ever hear I can't say I'm going to wait till I'm really comfortable and set up when I'm like 35 or 40 that actually this is just something I need to do now because my friends who don't know Jesus, not in a kind of morbid way, but you don't know how long we're all going to be here. Um, so I think through the tragedy and seeing life really just snatched away from people I love so dearly, it just kind of gave me that motivation yeah. that I didn't need to know all the answers or what the journey was going to look like in 10 years. I just needed to start now. Uh, amazing testimony there. Um, tell us a little bit about as time went on with uh, with Magnify, about some of the difficulties that, that you faced there and how you overcame them. Um, so I think firstly, being so young. Um, so I remember um, when I first started, I would try to kind of reach out to I guess Christian ministries, although they were more focused on Christians rather than evangelistic evangelistic um and what I found was people would often be like you're super young have you like read the bible from <laughs> front to back Do you know it inside out like you know what are you doing you basically don't know what you're doing and I guess that surprised me because I just thought you know as Christians we should all be so excited that there's like six billion people still on the planet to reach with the gospel mm. rather than being like 
oh, you're too young, you don't know what you're doing. Um, but I think I just am so grateful always for having the most incredible parents. So even from when I was like six years old, I remember that every morning my dad would pray and use the verse in Timothy and where it says, I can't remember exactly, but no one should look down on you because of your youth. Um, and I think when you hear that from five, when you then get to 19, um, it's just part of the way that you are is that you don't, even though people were very negative about the fact that I was so young, um, it didn't really phase me because I, I would just be like, you know, that's fine. That's their opinion. But I've just got to keep moving forward. Um, I wouldn't say as a woman, I found it particularly difficult. And I think that's because I went to an all girls school, um, which was the first all girls school in the country. So we would always go to school with the idea that we were trailblazers and not even in like an arrogant way, just knowing that your gender was never to be an obstacle to achieving anything. Um, And I think for me then being a Christian and understanding that men and women are of equal value to God, even if people felt like as a young, particularly as a young black woman, I shouldn't maybe be in certain positions. I never really let that phase me. Um, Another challenge I would definitely say is just really not having the skills because I studied politics. Um, So obviously a lot of what Magpie does is to do with creativity, to do with communication. Um, So I think in the beginning, it was really having to kind of learn on the job was, yeah, quite difficult. Um, But I just see it as a lifelong journey to always be growing and learning. And I think, yeah, I see that as a real privilege. So when people came up to you and they did challenge your your age or qualification or uh, background or whatever that was, uh, what would be your response to that? How did you deal with that? Uh, well, I'd more just thank them for their time and then move on. Just because I guess looking back growing up, I've always been inspired by well, some of my biggest inspirations are people like Oprah and Serena Williams. And Serena Williams is one of the big reasons I got into tennis. And where I was, there were not many young black girls who were into tennis and wanting to do it at that level. Um, So I think because I'd always looked at people who have faced opposition, I always saw that they, they must have had many critics and many people who didn't think that they were qualified. But when you look at them now, that never, if they had stopped and listened to those opinions, um, they wouldn't be where they are today. And I think also just a sense of calling and conviction. I remember a message I listened to by Christine King when I was 17. I can't really remember much, but I just remember she spoke so much about conviction. And I think when you have that conviction that God has called you to something, um, he is the final authority and the final say on things rather than us as human beings. We can only see kind of with our natural eye. Um, And it's the same way if somebody comes up to me and says, you know, they want to start a fashion business, I might not understand really what their idea is or the type of style that they have, but I'm not going to be the authority in deciding whether that's going to work or not. Um, So I think because I've always had that attitude, I've more tried to just thank people for their time and then obviously know that those are not the people that God has brought to support the vision um, and move on. Brilliant. So what's the what's the hope and the, the dreams for the future for Magnify and for you as well? Um, so I guess for me, it's really about changing the narrative and perception of Christianity amongst a generation of women. Um, and whether as we just continue to expand, whether that's yeah, kind of building the community in different cities in the world, I want it to become something 
say like with Vogue, how people always identify when you think of fashion or fashion magazine, you immediately think of Vogue. I think when people, women think of Christianity or faith, I want Magnified to be top of mind. Um, So yeah, that's the kind of long-term vision. I don't exactly know the form that that will take to get there, but that is what I'm praying and working towards. Now you have a a staff team, Ruth, um, working with you at at Magnify. Um, What are the characteristics of the way in which you lead them now what are the core principles that you have kind of learned and and built into the way that you're leading others so I think one thing I've realized is that I'm not a manager and I don't enjoy managing or micromanaging Um, so I think the way that I'm trying to lead now is through inspiring people with the big vision and letting them find a sense of calling and purpose within the work that they do. Um, Because when I think back to organisations that I've either enjoyed working for or not working for, I've mostly enjoyed, rather than having a manager who kind of micromanages everything that I do, they inspire me to find my place within the overall big vision. Um, I think for me also a sense of or a commitment to excellence um, because people will often look at the magazine and admire the quality. And I always say with us, it's not to do with budget. That has nothing to do with us producing the level of work that we do. It's just in the small things and the big things, being committed to excellence and ultimately knowing that you're not serving myself or the operations manager, you're serving God as you work. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I think particularly with millennials, everyone wants to kind of be an entrepreneur or be doing their own thing. So I found that within leading a team, you have to be realistic and understand that people need to kind of see their place within what you're doing rather than if it's purely just, you know, I believe that Magify will be here. That doesn't necessarily always inspire people to work very hard, but when they find a sense of calling within the work that and purpose within the work that they do, that's the way that I'm trying to lead. But definitely, still making mistakes and learning every day. <laughs> uh, it's fascinating because in the research that we did with 500 millennials last year, um, the top ranked uh, uh, issue for them within the workplace was actually understanding purpose and meaning, and that came way above pay. Um, team conditions, even relationships. Um, so how do you help people to find that purpose and meaning? Because lots of people are, are questioning that, you know, what, what's the unique me? Where do I fit? Yeah. What's my purpose and meaning? You've written a book with your husband about that. What, what, what have you learned? Yeah. <laughs> um, to Condense the book into, you know, a few short sentences. Yeah. What have you learned about helping people find their purpose and meaning? I think the first thing I would say is you have to go back to your creator and go back to God. And I know often my husband and I would talk differently because he's very Bible based. That's like how he builds everything. Um, And I think in the world we hear a lot about, you know, finding your skills and finding what makes you tick. And obviously that's very important. But I think going back to God has to be the starting point in order to find yeah, the purpose for which you've been created. Um, And then I think actually the first book, first chapter in the book is called Start by Stopping. I think sometimes we're in such a rush to kind of do things or to start our own things that we don't take time to stop and reflect and ask God for his wisdom um, about what he wants us to do. Um, And then I think in a practical sense, working out what do you enjoy doing? What are the things that you do naturally? What are the things that if 
you could be paid to do something, what would you do? Um, and I think for me, that's when I realised creativity and communication um, and making content in some form. I've realised that linked to what drives me, which is people knowing about Jesus, that's how I found my direction is knowing that those are matching those with my God-given skills and gifts. Um, so yeah, those are kind of three things I would say in order to find your purpose. Mm, fantastic. Now, um, also in our research, um, the millennials talked a lot about the opportunities and challenges they saw that were unique to to their generation. As you look at your um, peers around you, uh, what do you see as the massive opportunities that millennials have that maybe other generations haven't had previously, uh, but maybe some of the unique challenges that they face as well? Um, so I think definitely social media and technology um, compared to, you know, even my parents' generation means that we can be connected with people across the world in an instant. It means that when you have an idea, it's relatively cheap in comparison to before to spread that idea to all corners of the earth. Um, the challenge with that, obviously, though, is social media um, can take over our lives. It's a constant you know, before you'd celebrate anything that you were doing and you wouldn't even probably know things in your neighbour's own life. Whereas now, just by going onto our phones, you're constantly seeing what everybody else is doing. And that is so distracting. Um, and I remember reading a book called Good to Great. I can't remember the author, Jim something. And um, Jim how I think, yeah, Jim Collins, that so many of us, um, we won't be, great in what we do or the best that we can be if we are so distracted continually in every five minutes it's all oh, we could be doing this oh this person is doing this I need to do this because this could work um so I think yeah for our generation it's the biggest blessing but also the biggest curse and I'm sure that in 10 years when we've really started to see the impact of you know, constant use and constant kind of watching of everybody else's life, how damaging that is to identity and morale and a sense of purpose. But equally, I know that with Magnifier, I've also seen that it's a great way to kind of share your ideas and share a vision, um, which previously, you know, you'd probably have had to take out billboards or TV ads or know someone um, on a news outlet in order to get your idea out there. That's fascinating, Ruth, because um, actually out of the research came this real sense that um, there's a love-hate relationship, a, a love of the technologies you've talked about in terms of being able to spread messages and influence on a much wider platform, um, but also the, the strong struggles with the the blurred boundaries that it brings yeah. um, to life as well so in, in your own experience how have you sought to manage those blurred boundaries between work and life how do you rest uh find rhythm uh restore your soul and your spirit and your body how does that look like for you and what have you learned um, so I think for me, I found it a particular challenge because I genuinely do love social media. Like it's how I find out a lot about people to interview or ideas. Um, but knowing that I want it to be that I control social media rather than social media controls me. Um, and so, for instance, often with my posts, I take my Instagram seriously, but I will schedule my posts that I'm not actually always on the platform and needing to like go on there. And before you know it, an hour has gone by. Um, so I think really being disciplined. And even when I took 
um, when I got married. I love kind of blogging and sharing a lot of my life. But after I got married, I decided with my husband to take four months off social media, um, which was absolutely incredible. And just having that rest where you wake up in the morning and you find that God speaks to you rather than constantly like, oh, I need to check what's happened on my phone. Um, And I think building in those patterns where you genuinely take a break from the outside world in order not just to connect with God, but to connect with your spouse, your friends, your family in a way that is not constantly obsessed with communicating with people that you don't know. Um, And I think for me, what was interesting was in that four months, probably the most exciting four months. So even the fact that Magrify, we moved into a new multi-story building in Shoreditch. Like I spoke at places like American Express and different things and didn't capture that at all during that time. Um, And I think for me, it was a good lesson to remember, which sometimes we can forget in our generation, that just because you don't photograph or share something, it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Um, (laughs) And actually, uh, there are some things that it doesn't, you know, people don't need to know that really exciting things happen, and that's completely fine. But I have to also be honest that because of what I do, there is an element where you do need to share some of the things that are happening. Um, but I think for me, it's just keeping it in balance and knowing when it's getting to the point where social media is controlling you yeah. rather than you being in control of an app. Brilliant. Now, um, one of the um, things we talk about is is culture. And, and culture, we say, is often defined by the best thing you celebrate and the worst thing you allow to happen. Um, so what's the best thing you celebrate as a leader? What What is the thing that, you know, gets you to get the party poppers out and uh, magnify and, <laughs> in your own life and, and, and have a cake and celebrate? What, what, what was that for you? I think for me, when I see growth and ownership, um, so even yesterday we held uh, one of our masterclasses and one of our events team, um, the lady who leads our events, she's been on team for a year and this is her first job. And just seeing how well she navigated even challenges before the event and the event was seamless and people felt so loved and appreciated and really just understood magnify and really bought into the vision I said to her like I feel so proud of you because seeing how like she's grown and flourished into like her own person she's having loads of ideas herself and then executing the ideas and I guess because naturally I'm more have like more of a pioneering personality when I see other people doing that in their sphere it just makes me yeah just so excited because I know that ultimately whatever she goes on to do in life if Magfi is a place where she's been able to develop um professionally and have a sense of purpose about the work that she does yeah there's nothing that makes me happier fantastic so seeing others leaders develop and grow that's great you celebrate that you want to get some party poppers out for that (laughs) your teammate today and and celebrate that that's just absolutely wonderful now if you could um say one thing to your 19 year old self um, that you've learned over the last 10 years, um, what, what would that be? Keep a soft heart but a thick skin. Okay. Um, because I think within leadership, it's very – I've met and seen so many older leaders who are so pained mm. by – everything that they've encountered. And I've learned in the journey of leadership that 
you know, people can be prepared to throw you under the bus and say all kinds of things. And even people that you invest in who just do not appreciate that investment, that can make you very hard and bitter. And I never, ever want to become that type of leader. Mm. Um, so I think, yeah, I would say to my 19 year old self, like the journey's not going to be easy and not everyone is going to be with you for the whole of the journey. And people come to you for seasons mm. and when they go, you bless them as they go. But I think in the beginning, I used to feel so emotional and personally affected whenever things would go wrong or when people would hurt me and I just realized that when you store that up as a leader you don't leave room for God to bring creativity to bring fresh ideas and for you to lead in a light way Um, and then the second thing I would say is never let what you lead become your identity because I think it's particularly in the beginning of the journey I'd often be invited to a lot of leadership things that genuinely I actually found very boring because (laughs) I felt that everyone would just reel off the list of you know my ministry we're just expanding and we're just growing and we're just doing all these things and for me I actually love spending time with friends and family who are not particularly interested in what I'm doing and it's not like they're not interested it's just that for most people they see that as a job and they don't massively like to talk about their job when they're not at work um so I think yeah when I never want what I do to become who I am and I think I would have told my 19 year old self that obviously it's important to be passionate about what you do but never let that define who you are cool Ruth we always look to ask uh, a couple of questions on the podcast to everyone who comes on uh would love to get your insight out what would be the biggest tension that you find within your leadership okay I've got two so for me personally I think it's expecting I like to work with the spirit of excellence and be committed to being the best I can but also the tension of when you lead people you have to be realistic with expectations and that is still something I am far far from perfect at and my husband is constantly telling me stop letting yourself get disappointed Mm -hmm. um so I think that's the tension is when you're a leader you are obviously so passionate about what you're doing um that that's kind of like you have like a tunnel vision with that, which you have to in order to be a good leader. But it's the point where you can't put those expectations on other people because they're not the leader nor the founder. Mm. Um, So I think I perpetually find that hard and always find myself getting disappointed. So hopefully if you interview me in five years, I'd have (laughs) overcome overcome that. We'll come back Um, and do that and ask you a few questions. (laughs) Um, yeah because I think that if you could if I continue to lead in that way you just yeah will always end up being disappointed which isn't necessary um and then the other thing I'd say is for having been a leader since since really I was a child in terms of at church I was always leading at school I was always a leader mm-hmm. in different things um the tension of actually being a child and growing up, but then also having the responsibility of being a leader. So the fact is when you're a teenager, even in your twenties, you're going to make loads of mistakes, but there's an increased scrutiny and increased pressure when you then are leading something at the same time. Um, And I don't feel that people are particularly forgiving or understanding in understanding that you will make mistakes because like them, you were also 20 years old. Mm. Um, so I think, yeah, I found it attention and hard as a young leader when you're trying to work out who you are and what you want from life, whilst then also being responsible for a vision and other people. 
all sorts of stuff about identity there, which uh, Simon would, I'm sure, love to talk to you more about in terms of the book, but time's moving on. So uh, as a final question, uh, what would be your greatest excitement and your greatest fear when it comes to leading? I think our audience catching the vision. Um, so when I see, yeah, you put in all the work and you, you, know, you do what you're supposed to be doing, but actually seeing the real lives being impacted, you're just like, wow, this is completely worth everything that we go through that's great and and in terms of uh, in t- like would you would that be combined with fear do you think would that be the same sort of emotion or would there be uh, a fear that you would hold as well I think for me my biggest fear is disappointing God and I just I guess I always want to be being honest being realistic that I'm a human being and I'm going to make mistakes mm. and sometimes you make really you know big mistakes small mistakes mm. but just never wanting to disappoint him with the risk given the responsibility and the privilege he's given me to lead brilliant um and uh, if people want to find out more about magnify where where should they go um so they should definitely visit our website which is magnify collective and we're also on facebook and instagram as magnify collective as well wonderful well ruth yeah. thanks so much for taking the time to join us uh today on the forge leadership podcast and uh we love what you're doing with uh magnify and the, the women around the world that you, you're inspiring with the work that you're doing thanks for sharing your heart being so vulnerable um and telling us uh how god shaped you and uh, giving so much good advice to people as well ruth thanks so much for joining us today Oh, thank you very much. Thanks for listening. For more dedicated resources to equip emerging leaders, visit our new website, millennial-leader.com. And don't forget to catch up on the Forge Leadership Podcast at forge-leadership-podcast.com.